Good morning, everybody. Pop out here. Yeah, hey, uh, you know, what's so odd about Christian Hartwell, I've known him since he's a college student, since the first Sunday he was here, and normally he shoots all our videos and then makes sure they get edited. This time we said, hey, let's do yours. And so he, he set it up and he shot it and uh, got him on tape there. So it's always great to hear people's stories, right? because we, we've learned so much about what God is doing uh, in people around us, and I'm just excited to hear those kinds of things. Hey, I want to tell you a story today, just to start off with. I'm sitting in an airport, and a uh, long time ago, Dallas-Fort Worth Airport, and I'm sitting down, uh, and across from me, a guy sits down, and I was a seminary student at the time, and I was taking a class on how to share your faith. And I thought, I'm excited and motivated. I'll practice on the guy right across from me. So... I thought, I have a plan in my head. I'm thinking I'm going to say this, and he's probably going to say this, and then I'm going to talk about, you know, how we're all separated from God, but God has a wonderful plan. He loves you, and, you know, I got this all in my head, right? I got it down. So I said, well, what do you do? Because I'm thinking eventually they'll ask me what I do, and then we can have some type of conversation. Well, that didn't work because for 30 minutes he told me all about himself and didn't ask me a thing. So, so in the middle of that, he told me he was a professional wrestler. And that he was on TV all the time. I thought he played for the Dallas Cowboys because he's like six foot seven and 320 pounds. He was huge, just this huge guy. And he's telling me about all the time he's been on TV, these famous celebrities he's been with, and just all this kind of stuff. And, and he's just nonstop talking about his career, and they're going to do a book on him and all these things. And finally, after about 30 minutes, he goes, what do you do? I said, well, I'm studying to be a pastor, and, and I barely get this word out of my mouth, and we're talking, he goes, hey, I gave $50,000 to Jim Baker. Do you think he'll give it back? <laughs> so some of you are like, why are people laughing? I don't even know who Jim Baker is, so I need to say this. Jim Baker was a TV evangelist, and he's building a Christian theme park, and he was ripping people off, okay? And he was indicted, I think, on 14 counts of fraud. And then he was convicted, and then he went to prison. So the first words out of this guy's mouth to me was, can I get my money back? Now, what's so odd about that? He turned around, and he said to me, because I was younger than he goes, kid, don't worry about it. I actually met with Jim in person, and I'm not getting my money back. <laughs> not getting any of it back. So my plan to share my faith in the gospel was really sidetracked at that very moment. Why? Because I lost all credibility right then, right? I just lost all credibility. And here's what I want to talk about today in this title, Red Flags. And here it is. My big idea today is false teachers, they damage the credibility of the gospel, right? I mean, you have somebody that lives a certain way or, and their character, their integrity or how they handle money or their teaching, it just can give, give uh, a false, you know, make it difficult for us to share the gospel because it damages the credibility, right? And when I say the word false teachers, I want you to think of something here that for 2,000 years there have been false teachers and people who have been denying the, that Jesus is God and all kinds of things as well. And the Apostle Paul had started a church in the city of Corinth 2,000 years ago, and he started many churches. And this particular one was in a seaport, kind of big commerce area. And the church grew. He spent 18 months there. But while he was gone, some other people came in, and I'm going to call them false teachers. 
he sarcastically calls them the super apostles. He's kind of like, hey, those super apostles came in and, and they're saying all these things. Don't pay attention to those. He's being pretty sarcastic when he uh, uh, says this as well. And the people who come in to do that are probably what we call today Judaizers or Judaizers, however you want to pronounce that. And what they're teaching is that simply this, hey, you can believe in Jesus, but you've got to be Jewish first. Or, hey, you can be in, Ju in Jesus, then you can become Jewish later. And so it's mixing the grace of God with the law, Mosaic law. And Paul says, hey, we're not under the law. I mean, you don't have to be saved by works. Christian nailed it in his video there, right? right by, faith, by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, right? So I want us to read this passage about false teachers today. Then I want to talk about this because I think there's something here for us today. So it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and it's verses 1 through 8. And there's a weird sentence in here. So I'm going to stop in the middle of the weird sentence and explain it, okay? Sometimes weird stuff comes up. Here we go. I hope you will put up with me in a little foolishness. Yes, please put up with me. I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband to Christ so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. Okay, there's our weird sentence. Let's get this out of the way. So sometimes Paul says your vow to a spouse, your commitment, is kind of like your vow to Jesus. And that was a common Jewish thing to talk about. And what he's saying is, you made a vow to Christ, and it's just like making a vow to your spouse, and so he's making that analogy. So we can move on from that kind of odd saying for some of you. Verse 3, but I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the spirit you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. I do not think I am in the least inferior to those super-duper apostles. I added the word there. I may indeed be untrained as a speaker, but I do have knowledge. We may be made... We have made this perfectly clear to you in every way, for it is a sin for me to, was it a sin for me to lower myself in order to elevate you by preaching the gospel of God to you free of charge? I rob other churches by receiving support from them so as to serve you. So these so-called super-duper apostles are infiltrating and sabotaging, causing disunity in the church. Nothing is worse than disunity in a church. And Paul's not going to tolerate it at all. So here's what I want to do. Point number one, if you're taking notes, is simply this. Anyone can be deceptively led away from the truth. I mean, anyone. Anyone. I can be, you can be. And Paul says, Adam and Eve, Eve was deceived, Adam was deceived in the garden. I mean, they're, they're in a perfect place, the Garden of Eden. They got deceived. We live here. We can be deceived as well. My older brother called me a while back. He was so embarrassed. He called me, and he goes, I, I have to tell you something, and he's having trouble spitting it out. <laughs> and, and he goes, I uh, got a phone call. Somebody said my computer wasn't working right, one of those email things, and and I, uh, I let them have my computer, and, and he's just telling <laughs> this stuff out like he'd been, he'd been, you know, tricked, deceived, hoodwinked, snookered, however you want to say it, conned, 
you know. And here's this guy that's a, that's a super smart executive, and he goes, I can't believe I did that. I have to tell you because some of your personal information is in my computer, too. And that's the only reason I found out he did that. And he goes, as soon as I realized I'd given them control, I'm like, well, what am I doing? I unplugged my computer, and anyone can be deceived, right? We can all be deceived by something, and we can be deceived spiritually. For many of you, you signed a business deal you wish you never would have. You said yes to something you knew you shouldn't say yes to. You said no to something you said you knew you shouldn't have said no to. You know, there are times when we just don't make good decisions, and we get fooled as well. So here's a question for you. Have you ever been deceived by the devil? Have you ever been deceived by bad philosophy? The devil is crafty. Here's the thing about deception. Somebody who's deceiving you is so good at you don't know you've been deceived. Right? You don't know you've been deceived. You don't know you've been conned. You don't know you've been tricked. And that's what our adversary, the devil, does. He tricks us, deceives us, and we don't even know it. In fact, we may even embrace it because simply it's a blind spot for us. We don't know that we've been deceived as well. And so the devil wants to do this. And uh, false teachers, the devil, wants to, they want to pull us away from God and teach us lies about God. Hey, God is not like that. God is like this. You know, the, something like that. Wants us to believe things that are false about us. So I wrote this simply down my notes to myself, lie, God isn't real. That's a lie. How about this, God doesn't care about you. That's a lie. And sometimes we feel like, well, God doesn't love me. God doesn't care about me. That's not true. Or how about this, you can become a God. Well, that's a lie. <laughs> and what sounds better, serve God or become a God? And we get tricked into believing, well, well, I can become a God as well. And the devil wants to, just like, with, just like in, the, in the garden, he wants to deceive our minds and trick us, trick our thinking as well, our devotion as well. There's nothing new about false teachers. It's been for 2,000 years, people have been saying some wacky stuff, and people have bought into it as well. So let's just talk about that for a second. Number two, false teachers will be exposed by their teaching and their lifestyle. Their teaching, their lifestyle, okay? Now, I would say this. Under the broad category of Christianity and doctrinal beliefs, the great majority of churches and the pastors that I hang out with all believe the crux of Christianity and the fundamentals. We believe that scripture is true, that Jesus died on the cross, that he rose again from the dead, the resurrection is true, the Bible's true. Only by faith in Jesus can you get to heaven. Uh, the virgin birth is true. All those kind of core things we, we all hold to. That's why I belong to an organization here in town. I even served on the board for a while called One Hope. A bunch of pastors can get together and we can join together to show Jesus love, right? And so because we're, we have that crux together, even though we might disagree on, hey, you have baptized with sprinkling or immersed or poured or held under the water until you couldn't breathe, whatever. <laughs> Different view. That one's okay. I'm not going to get upset about that. But those core things, right? Right? But when we go outside of those core things, if I could say it this way, wacky things begin to happen 
as well. Now, there's some groups that call themselves Christians, and I debated this week whether I wanted to bring one of them up, but I'm just not just them. One is Jehovah Witnesses. So Jehovah Witnesses, and they may be knocking on your door right now as you're watching the live stream, maybe knocking. They deny that Jesus is God. And then they have their own Bible, their own translation that nobody else has. And they don't believe in the resurrection and some other things like that. Clearly outside of that, way outside of that kind of thing. Now then, what if I said to you, what if I said, hey, uh, I think we ought to be anti-JW, Jehovah's Witness, anti-JW. And I've read the book against JWs. We have pamphlets now, and we're all going to go over to their kingdom hall and protest against Jehovah's Witnesses. Yeah, so we'd never do that. Yeah, we'd never do that. I don't even think about that. And you'd say, that's, why would we spend our energy doing that? Yeah, yeah. See, we, we don't want to be known for what we're against. We want to be known for what we're for, right? And we're for the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, so our goal is not to put the Jehovah Witnesses out of business, that's not our goal. Our goal is to present the gospel to people as well so they can trust in the Savior of Jesus Christ. There are many different uh, groups that may go outside the bounds of this crux of what we would say fundamental beliefs of Jesus. And what happens is people can get led astray, right? And then the credibility of the gospel is damaged when we try to share the true nature of the gospel that Jesus came and he died and he rose again as well. So people can be corrupt. I want to give you a couple areas in which just to think this thing through, okay? Because I don't want this morning's sermon to me be bashing false teachers. I want to help us to be able to say, hey, this is kind of the filter that we can use to make sure that we're on the right track. Here's the first thing, first bullet point, bad doctrine, just, just bad doctrine. And by that I mean those core fundamentals, when people deviate from those core things. We've talked about uh, the, the Judaizers in the first century, they tend to say you can't be a Christian unless you get circumcised. You gotta become Jewish first and you gotta quit eating bacon. Everybody in this room's in trouble. Most of you. <laughs> And you can't put milk in, in your kitchen. You know, you got to do all those things, right? So, so that was the issue in the first century. Another issue in the first century and the second century was this bad darn called Gnosticism. Have you ever heard that word? That's a weird word. It means knowledge. And it was a group of people who believed they had secret knowledge. You don't have. And if you have the secret knowledge, you're going to be a be a fantastic Christian, and you're going to be more spiritual than the rest of us. And that's Gnosticism. And in the process of that, they also denied that Jesus was, uh, was a real person, a human being. They had all kinds of wacky beliefs. We have a lot of written information about Gnostics, actually, and it's so confusing that even people who study them don't really know what they believe, but they were wacky. Let me put it that way. In fact, in one place, in Gnostic writings, if uh, women can't go to heaven, nobody can go to heaven. They just have all kinds of stuff that's just wacky, right? So there's this kind of secret knowledge thing uh, uh, with um, a Gnostic. Another ancient kind of false teaching is a guy named Arius. And he was this bishop who began to say that Jesus really wasn't God. He was just a person. And then Jesus was created by God, and then he became somewhat divine, but he was never really fully God. 
Now, there's a big problem with that because if Jesus isn't the perfect sacrifice on the cross, your sins can't be forgiven. And the only perfect sacrifice is God himself, the Son of God, Jesus. Does that make sense? So because Arius was talking about this kind of stuff, they got a whole bunch of Christian leaders together, 300 of them, at a place called Nicaea. And maybe some of you are familiar with this, called the Nicene Creed. And they said, that's hogwash. That's wacky stuff. And so, Arius, you're out. If you're going to hold to that, you're wrong. And they began to write this Nicene Creed that Jesus is fully man. He is fully God in all his essence. He's God. And the God of heaven loves you so much that the God of heaven died for you. Do you see the implications of this kind of stuff? So that was area. So we've had this false teaching all through history. I have many other examples, but I won't bore you today. Here's another one from current day, prosperity theology. God wants you to be rich. In fact, he wants you to be so rich that I want you to send me money and then maybe you'll get rich. And we'll start today with Steve Hill. Let's send in your money. All of you online right here. Let's send, send me your money. And maybe you'll get blessed a hundredfold. Then you can give me even more. And the fact that you're not getting blessed a hundredfold means you didn't give me enough. So let's give me some more. Do you see where this is going? It's just that I'm building a Christian theme park. Give me your money. And uh, maybe you'll get something back in return as well. Here's another one, modern day. It's up in Corvallis, actually. And it's called the Jesus Seminar. And the Jesus Seminar is a group of would-be scholars who said that Jesus really didn't say all those things in our Bible, that only six verses in the Bible were actually uttered by Jesus, okay? And Jesus may have been a real man, but he certainly wasn't God. And so this organization, which is full of Christian scholars, what I would say they're leading people astray as well, okay? So, so out of those things, uh, this bad doctrine just pulls people away because we get sucked into kinds of bad thinking as well. Here's another one, uh, I would say lifestyle and teach, just controlling, be controlling. Uh, the passage we read, I do not think I am in the least inferior to those super apostles. So seems like this group had a tendency to set themselves above everybody else. Hey, I'm better than everybody else and I'm better than the apostle Paul. Have you ever heard that phrase, uh, absolute power absolutely corrupts. And what we're seeing here is these super apostles coming in and exer trying to ex exert great authority and manipulation um, in this church as well. Even the United States government has a checks and balances thing, right, for authority. Uh, good churches have good systems in place. I, I meet with the chairman of the board all the time. I, I have a board I'm accountable to. Staff people are accountable to others. There's just mutual accountability all over the place, and that's important. But when you have no accountability, then authority and power can run amok. It's what can happen as well. And it seems like that this is part of what's going on in Corinth. If you read the first letter that Paul wrote, he said, hey, some of you say you're the uh, group of Jesus. Others say you're the group of Peter. And others of you say you're the group of this other guy named Apollos. And Seems like there are groups of people. That sounds bad, doesn't it? Sets up conflict. And, and so 
Paul, Paul is battling some of this as well, and people are controlling, well, my group is better than your group, and my thinking is better than yours, and they're lording it over other people. Let me give you an example of this. When I was in college, I had some friends that got involved in a cult-like group, just like Christian Hartwell talked about. And in fact, the group that he was a part of for a month or two is uh, kind of remnants of a group that I'm very familiar with from 35 years ago. And so I went with my friends to this group on a college campus, and I went, this is weird. And they're telling students, you can't go home to see your parents unless you get permission. Does that sound manipulative? That sounds controlling, doesn't it? And in fact, you can only date the people that we give you permission to date. So I've got all these warning flags. This is just weird. This is not my church I grew up in at all. It's just... This is odd. And then they would say odd things like this, like, well, Jesus wasn't crucified between two people. He's crucified between four people. I'm like, oh, well, that's, why, why? Well, because one of the gospels says between two robbers, and the other one says between two malefactors, which is people who steal. And I'm like, well, that's not a big deal, but that's a weird way to interpret the Bible. <laughs> My faith doesn't hinge on how many people were next to Jesus at the crucifixion, but how we got there with that opinion sounds really suspicious to me. Eventually, this group was kicked off the college campus for some uh, intimidation of professors and menacing is what it would be called, threatening people as well. Here's another thing that I often think of the false teachers, just simply greed. Here's what Paul says. Was it a sin for me to lower myself in order to elevate you by preaching the gospel of God to you free of charge. I robbed other churches by receiving support from them so as to serve you. So here's the deal. In the first century, if you're a visiting professor, you always got paid by the people who listen to your lecture. And if you're good at it, you got a lot of money. It's unlike things today where, where if you don't like your professor, you get your money back in the University of Oregon. Doesn't work that way, right? And so Paul said, I did that free. And you think because it was free, it's not very valuable. Does that make sense? So Paul said, these other churches gave to me so I could tell you about Jesus so that you wouldn't have to be burdened with paying my room and board. And these other super apostles come in, he does it for free, he must be worthless. Because culturally, that's what they would have said about it. Paul says, hold on here a second. Just because I offered it for free doesn't mean the message is worthless as well. But greed can be part of that. They were getting money. And the thinking, what do you get? What you pay for. And the word greed in the Bible just means lust for more. I just want more and more and more money. I want more and more stuff as well. Now then, as a pastor, often I, I know, I just preached about money two weeks, well, one week in a row. <laughs> Well, we had two messages on money a couple weeks ago, and it's kind of like preaching on hell. You know, it's not my favorite topic, but it has to be done once in a while, <laughs> right? And we need to have a healthy view of stewardship, that God owns everything, and, and we get to manage those things. But the question you have to ask yourself when you look at the lifestyle of certain Christian leaders is, is that, a, is that jiving here with Scripture, with character and integrity? as well. So we have to be mindful of that, right? We're looking at lifestyle and teaching as well. Just lust for more and recognition. 
Here's another one, sexual misconduct. I'm just call it that. Second Peter, talking about false teacher, says, with eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. They are experts in greed and a cursed brood. Strong words. Jude, Jesus' half-brother, wrote about false teachers. In verse 4, for certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ as the only sovereign Lord. That word immorality always means sexual sin outside of marriage. Always does in the Greek language. And so often with false teachers, we have this sexual sin that comes up and wow, are we kind of devastated with those kinds of things in churches. When I hear about something like that, I just cringe in my heart because it, it damages the credibility of the gospel. It just makes it all the more difficult for us to talk about the Savior when those kinds of things happen. There's a famous pastor in New York City at Hillsong Church, and, it, and he had multiple, one of the largest, most influential churches in America, in the world, actually. And so, very scandalous thing. And so, it just damages for the rest of us. Just makes it really difficult. So those things come up, and and we're left wondering what what's really going on here. I just want to remind you of something. In the United States of America, there are 500,000 pastors. You didn't know you were surrounded by so many of us, did you? <laughs> and I don't think. What am I trying to say? I think that we have this small thing that's happening over here and it really decimates the rest of us. Makes us all look terrible. And I just want to remind you of that when you see these things that happen in the newspaper or online and social media about, about, about scandals and Christian leaders, because we have enough of them. We have the Catholic Church scandal, we have Protestants involved in child abuse and other organizations. I could count the list. It just, it's just horrible stuff. On the other hand, I'm reminded of the 490,000 pastors or so who aren't like that. And we need to remember that as Christians, that there's this super large segment that are trying to live for Jesus and, that, and live with integrity as well. Uh, in our lives. So many of these cult groups often have sexual sin merged in with bad teaching. It's, I, I can spot it right away sometimes. They have bad teaching, really flimsy, wacky stuff, and then there's sexual exploitation for manipulation purposes as well. Cult, cult groups like the Branch Davidians, David Koresh, use sex to control people. Sexual immorality is common in groups like that. Apostle Paul ends this section with this warning. Here it goes. For such people are false apostles, deceitful workers, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. 
It is not surprising then that if his servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness, get this very strong, their end will be what their actions deserve. So as followers of Jesus, we have to take those warnings seriously. We have to look at look at false teaching and we have to look at people and their lifestyle and what they teach and that needs, we need to have a great filter, scripture for that as well. That's our filter. I was just reading the other day that there's an app now you can get that warns you about earthquakes. I have it on my uh, phone right now because I wanted to see if it actually worked. I haven't got a notification yet. It's called, it's called, what is it called? My shake or shake up or no, I forgot. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> You'll find it if you want it. And it's supposed to, it's supposed to ding you on your phone if it's, the earthquake is coming. It gives you at least 30 seconds to, to get, you know, somewhere a little safer than you are. Unless you're asleep, then I figured it doesn't work very well. So, and uh, I got the thing, we need that kind of warning too, right? Hey, warning, warning, red flag, red flag, red flag. This is not good, not good, not good. And we need that. And the place that we get that, I think, is, is in our church community, our spiritual friends that help us stay where we need to be, and also scripture. That's our, hey, that doesn't quite, that sounds weird. I'm not sure I, that just sounds odd to me. Well, take note of that sounds odd to you. It might be fine, it might not be, but a little bit of warning going off. I don't know if you've ever heard of the name Charles Templeton. And Charles Templeton passed away a number of years ago, but he was a close, very close associate of this guy named Billy Graham, the, the evangelist. And Templeton was one of the four or five people who traveled with Billy Graham, had his own crusade meetings, um, pastor of a very, became, became a very large church. And Templeton, began to have questions about Jesus. And he began to have questions about Christianity. And he began to have questions about whether God is really there. And eventually, he quit believing that God even existed. How do you go from doing crusades with Billy Graham to becoming an basically agnostic or an atheist? Well, Templeton began to listen to other thinking that why is there pain and suffering in the world? It must mean that there isn't a God. And why creation can't be true. It just can't be true. And, and he began to struggle with those things. And eventually he ditched his faith. And then not long before he died, he gave an interview to a journalist named Lee Strobel. And I'm going to read you part of this interview. And it's for, in the book, Case for Faith, actually. Uh, Lee Strobel writes, I started, cons he goes, uh, uh, Templeton was 83. He revealed some of the reasons he left the faith. Templeton said, I started considering the plagues that swept across parts of the planet and indiscriminately kill. More often than not painfully, all kinds of people, the ordinary, the decent, and the rotten, and it just became crystal clear to me that it is not possible for an intelligent person to believe that there is a deity who loves. 
Lee Strobel then asked him about Jesus and was surprised at his response. Templeton believed Jesus lived, but never really considered himself to be God, that Jesus never considered himself to be God. Templeton says, he was the greatest human being who has ever lived. He was a moral genius. His ethical sense was unique. He was the intrinsically wisest person that ever encountered, I've ever encountered in my life or in my readings. He's the most important thing in my life. I know it may sound strange, but I have to say I adore him. Everything good I know, everything decent I know, everything pure I know, I learn from Jesus. He is the most important human being who has ever existed. And if I may put it this way, I miss him. Strobel goes on to say, Templeton's eyes began to tear up and he began to weep freely and he refused to say anything else about Jesus. He believes he existed, but he misses him so, even though he thought he was the most ethical person who had ever lived. And I think when we consider things and we look at this whole topic, we have to realize that the way that I live my life, my integrity, my character, the things that I say, the content of my message, I can either elevate the gospel of Jesus or I can do great harm and damage the credibility of Jesus. That's the way it is for me, and I want to tell you something, that's the way it is for you. Because you are a follower of Jesus. It grieves me deeply as a pastor when I watch people like Charles Templeton who drift away from the faith. The college student who buys a book and sees doubts in her mind about the gospel. The young man who begins to reject the resurrection of Jesus Christ and gives up. All of those things, we can all be deceived. Therefore, we must all make sure we keep our eyes on Jesus Christ and on him alone. Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Bold statement. Bold statement. Maybe some of you are watching me right now. You're at home. You need Jesus in your life. You need to trust him as your Savior right now. Maybe some of you in this room, you've said, man, I, I've, I need Jesus Christ. I need forgiveness. I need to have the guilt of my life renew, removed. I need God's love in my heart. I don't have that. I got anger in my heart. I got anxiety in my heart. I got frustration in my heart. Why are you living with that? And when somebody else promised you that all of that will go away, that it will be perfect if you will just do certain things. If that certain thing isn't God's grace and Jesus, watch out. Watch out. I'm going to pray right now. And maybe some of you today need to make sure, hey, I need to be on track with Jesus. I'm going to give you the opportunity to talk to him, okay? And maybe some of you, you just need to ask Jesus to come into your life. And that's, even those of you watching at home, you, you need to do that right now. I implore you to do that. It's a free offer. No strings attached. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for Jesus and that he lived and that he died on that cross and that he physically came back to life. What a miracle. Maybe today you finally, the light came on. You need to believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior. You can do that right now. Just tell God that. Quietness of your heart. I believe. I trust him and him alone. For others of you, maybe you've got all this worry and angst and other things going on in your heart, and those things need to be replaced. Not by a legalistic system of do's and don'ts, but by the grace of God, by Jesus Christ. And maybe that's your prayer today. Lord, I, I, I don't want to masquerade around and live a fake kind of life. I just want you to come and fill my heart with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and self-control. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. We pray these things in his name. Amen.